Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tuba Akpom pre-character my modern day Tuba Akpom. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm delighted. I'm absolutely happy. I'm, I'm buzzing today. I don't know why. Ooh, Actually, no, why? I know. I'm, I'm bearing witness to the greatest footballer of our generation play every single week. <laughs> is it Tuba Akpom by any chance? It, it isn't a championship player. It's a League One player. It's David McGoldrick. It's Stitz. Oh, okay. Yeah. Scored another hat trick yesterday. It's his third of the season. First place to do that since the 70s. Yeah, and he hadn't scored a hat trick prior to this season. I think I'm right in saying. I, yeah. I, I, people get annoyed if we talk about Dobby too much, Justin. But yeah, that, that is remarkable, isn't it? That he scored three this season, having not scored one before. Yeah, and he's 35 years of age as well, um, which is just absolutely remarkable. Uh, I can't believe there wasn't. Should be playing yeah. in the championship. Should really, be, shouldn't absolutely say. should be. Definitely should be. And we should be talking about him weekly. But, you know, we, we'll take it as it is. Might do very soon, Justin. Might do the way things are going. Anyway, on the show this week, we're joined by Brady Frost from the Huddersfield Podcast, and he takes that chance. Brady, how are we doing? I'm good, lads. Um, bet you never heard this before, third tier podcast. Oh. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> and uh, we're also meant to be joined on the show today by Omar from that Millwall podcast, but we don't know where he is and we haven't heard from him. So we hope everything's all right, Omar. Um, but Justin, you may have to do the honours today and pretend to be a Millwall fan. Is that all right with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't put on the East End accent just in case I offend anybody. Um, you just have to have to stick with my middle and toned uh, for that. But I can certainly try. Yeah. Can we get a quick mill from you? Mill. That's a bit like Perfect. a moo, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You're basically a Millwall fan right now. Well done. Uh, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. So two first half goals. So Huddersfield and QPR draw one all. How was the game, Brady? Oh, it was... Um... Two teams really out of form. It was um, it was bad. It was bad. Um, I think QPR's goal um, kind of came from Matt Lanton doing a, a great assist for Jamal Lowe. But um, after that goal went in, the confidence like just shot out of Huddersfield, and like they couldn't string passes together. You know, you were hearing the classic "get it forward." You know what you're doing, passing it out from the back, blah blah blah. Um, and we looked we looked terrible to be honest, and um, the atmosphere was getting quite bad. And then. Joseph Hungbo, who um, you know was pretty good, uh, caught the eye quite a few times. The the Watford lonely we got had a good free kick that Dieng pushed out, and uh, that man Martin Waghorn tapped it in. So um, and then QPR after that, they looked like exactly like we did after we conceded. They looked like completely couldn't string a pass together. Really, kind of it was just a bit of a turgid game, and you know both teams had chances to win it. Um, I think the most annoying thing was Town had a good spell towards the end um, and Jack Rodoni put in a few corners that just kept, didn't beat the first man. And it's like, hmm, I feel like Huddersfield used to have a player who was really good at putting corners in. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, to be fair to Fotheringham, he got criticised for um, not putting, not making, um, you know, changes with his subs. He went for it with three attacking subs and Anthony Knockart actually looked pretty decent. Um, but yeah, just typical town, could, didn't look like scoring from open play, to be honest. Justin, it's another game where QPR have failed to win one victory from 14 now. It is crazy to think they were top of the league in October, but their form has completely nosedived, hasn't it? It has. It's it's a combination of things. I think the Beal situation is not helping. Critchley having to come in, he's probably got some different ideas, trying to implement those into a team. Um, he's got players out of form. Obviously, Elias Chair went to the World Cup. He was away from the squad for several weeks. He wasn't around Critchley in that bedding in process at the start of his tenure. So there's there's a lot of problems. Lyndon Dykes is out at the moment as well. Um, there's a lot of problems um, within the team. Um, and it's just a team badly out of form, as Brady said. Two, two teams here that are not in form at all. Um, and it's it's just taken a long time to, to get going. And I think that's the frustrating thing for QPR fans. They're getting a bit touchy with Critchley and I can understand why, because things haven't improved. But there's certainly a silver lining I would hope at some point, um, but it's just it's just turning things around, and it? it's a really difficult thing to do in the championship. What's the latest consensus from Huddersfield fans around Mark Fotheringham, Brady? He's a character, isn't he? I think character is one way of putting it. Um, yeah, he's I don't know. It's 
I wanted to give him a chance, um, you know, and I think particularly he'd done, since replacing Danny Schofield, we'd actually been a lot better defensively. Uh, and he was going to use the World Cup break to, and, you know, judging from all the things he said in his press conferences, be more attacking. And then, um, you know, Watford and Sheffield United were our first two games after that. And lowest XG of the season in those two games, fair enough, they are quite, you know, Sheffield United are a good team, Watford are, are a good team on the day. Um, it's just, I think a lot of people, you know, I do think if he'd lost this game, I think there'd be a big, a big pressure, uh, a lot of pressure for him to to leave. But it's kind of the issues going, going on, you know, off the pitch at the moment. You know, Dean Hoyle, our owner, wants to sell. Um, you know, there's a lot of discontent among the fans. There was a banner um, unveiled before the game uh, yesterday, which said, you know, clowns running the club, circus in the boardroom. So it just kind of gives you an idea. It's all a bit unrest, and I think, you know, from from my perspective, we were 90 minutes away from a from a playoff final, you know, like from getting to the uh, getting to the Premier League last season and we're in a relegation battle, I think fans are right to be annoyed. You know, I, Huddersfield fans, football fans can be seen, you know, a bit ridiculous and a bit, you know, unrealistic, but it's not a lot to ask for a team that nearly got to the Premier League to not be in a relegation battle the following season. And I think that's why you see a lot of unrest and a lot of anger. And I think it's, um, I think it's justified, to be honest with you. Yeah, one ahead of a contrast, isn't it, compared to how it was last May. And Huddersfield faced Blackpool on Tuesday, 22nd v 23rd. That is a huge game, isn't it, Brady? It really is. And then town need to win that. I think, um, you know, Fotheringham's talked about it. These next couple of games are going to define our season. Um, QPR, I think, we could we had an opportunity if we really went for it to, and had a bit more quality, we could have beat, beat them. But we need to win against Blackpool. Um, you know, we've got Wigan coming up as well. These are the games we have to win. Um, the, the issue is, though, it's just, you know, this is, I think, Fotheringham's not the best manager. Personally, you know, I did a preview for uh, Loft for Words, the QPR um, podcast, and I was, I can only really see relegation unless we change manager. But um, I don't think the club will do that because, you know, the owner's not investing. So, um, these games are huge, but you know, if if you don't beat Blackpool and you don't beat Wigan, um, you know, no disrespect to those teams, but you want to beat your relegation rivals, um, you know, you deserve to go down. So, yeah, huge, huge couple of weeks coming up. Yeah, well, you mentioned Blackpool on Tuesday, Wigan next weekend. It's actually Stoke and Birmingham afterwards, so they're both just outside the bottom three. So, massive, massive run of games coming up for Huddersfield. Very interesting to see how it goes. Let's talk about Millwall then. A late Dennis Sirkin equaliser. Saw the Lions draw one all with Sunderland. Must be quite annoyed, Justin, being the massive Millwall fan that you are, that you didn't get all three points because much the better side and had a goal disallowed, which probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, you pretty much spot on there with that. Um, being a sellout as well, and being the avid supporter I am, I'm disappointed that we couldn't uh, we couldn't give one for the <laughs> give one for the fans. Um, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. With that being Sunderland's probably one of their most dangerous moments as well. Um, I think it's quite unfortunate. I think um, Cherking Cherking uh, gets a gets a fist straight in the face as well with that with that header. I think it's just one of those things where um, you look at that game. I think Mill will look at that, that game in, in a few weeks' time. I think major frustration because they controlled it they pressed really well they didn't allow Sunderland to get into their flow um, which we all know Sunderland do find their their rhythm and they're very good away from home as well if they do find their rhythm they're a very difficult side to play against Um, but Millwall everything seemed to align for them um, in this game apart from apart from the result and I think if if you know they're a little bit more clinical in the final third, um, if, you know, if you look at the Millwall goal, for example, Jake Cooper's lying down um, when he scores it, so it's a bit of a half chance really. So if it's just a little bit more clinical and aggressive in that final third, they probably come away with this game with, with three points. But um, not a disappointing performance at all, just a disappointing result. I think Millwall goalkeeper is becoming a bit of a problem position for them. George Long came flying out at a free kick though. He's never going to get in a million years. It's not the first time I've seen him make a clangor over the last few weeks and I continue to be bamboozled by the fact they've got Bartosz Bielkowski on the bench who is a very experienced shot stopper at this level but just doesn't seem to get a game for whatever reason. Uh, Millwall still within touching distance of the playoffs, Justin. How do you fancy your chances? My chances. Um, yes. I mean, I've, I've backed Millwall for the majority of the season um, and I still want to back Millwall. But it's games like this that makes you cast a little bit of doubt, um, especially when you're coming up against a team who are in and around the playoffs like Sunderland as well. They're the games that you need to be winning, especially at home. You need to be picking up three points. Millwall's home record has been one of the best in the league this season. It's just, 
you, again, you're coming away from it. Like I said, you're going to look back in three or four weeks' time, and you're going to think, "Yeah, we, we should have really picked up three points there," because it's as a, you know, really cliched, but it's games like this. You're going to look back on it at the end of the season, and you go, "That's what's cost us a place in the top six. Um, so I think if they can get the new signings bedded in quickly, Burke and, and what more, and, and get them making a difference, um, then Mill will certainly have a good chance. But the only thing that concerns me is West Brom and Middlesbrough hitting a very good patch of form. Um, Luton are peaking at the right time as well. Slims their chances massively. Well, Sunderland are kind of in a similar boat with their playoff chances, aren't they? Well, I, I would consider Sunderland to be quite significant outsiders now. Ross Stewart's got injured. Um, and I know Joe, Joe Gailhart is, is a very good player, but you're asking a lot of a youngster to come into that environment and, and thrive quickly. And he has done that well at Leeds, but he's not showing that he's a prolific scorer yet. And that's probably what uh, Sunderland need at this point. Um, they need someone of the Stuart Mould who's going to grab your goals. But certainly he's going to help having him in that final third to be a, f- a focal point um, for the team. But Stuart's injury probably rules them out of the top six for me. Brady, thanks for now. We'll come back to you later to play Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. In the meantime, just and I will be heading around the grounds and we'll kick things off with an absolutely mental game at Swansea. Birmingham went ahead, then Swansea went ahead. Birmingham pulled one back to make it 2-2, then Swansea instantly went ahead again. Birmingham scored a 90th minute equaliser and then scored again in the 96th minute to win 4-3. Absolutely amazing. One person who probably didn't find it so amazing is Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. Tom, what were you thinking watching this? Yeah, uh, what a game. Uh, crazy afternoon of football. Um, I think all the emotions of being a football fan within 99 minutes. Um, yeah, the game was, you know, it was enjoyable for, for the most part. Um, clearly left the stadium a bit frustrated and disappointed. Uh, but the players, I mean, Swans completely dominated the game. I think we finished with 82% possession. Um, I think we had level shots, 16 shots or 14 shots, six on target each. Um, Birmingham obviously putting the ball in the back of the net that one time more. Just disappointed not to pick up the, the win or at least, you know, get the draw and hold on to, to hold on to the game. Yeah, but it must be frustrating, Tom, and must also be frustrating about the lack of business you did in January. How are fans feeling about that? Yeah, I'm pretty certain we were the only football club that didn't have a transfer embargo on us not to sign a football player in the January transfer window. Obviously, we lo- we lost a, a couple of fringe players, a few youngsters, and then uh, Michael Obafemi to Burnley. Um, from that perspective, I think the fans sort of were okay and happy enough for him to leave as long as we found a replacement for him. Um, Russ has said in his press conference, you know, that there was plenty of of targets identified um, leading up to the January transfer window, uh, approaches made for those players, but um, ultimately the players refusing to to come down to Swansea and play, and that we'd actually offered more money to the clubs for those players who, um, you know, subsequently moved to, to to other sides for less money. So yeah, from a fan's perspective, it is very very frustrating that we weren't able to bring in any replacements uh, and you know bolster our squad and try and push on for these playoffs that, that everyone seems to be talking about. And that has led speculation about Russell Martin potentially walking from the job. Uh, what have you thought of this? Yeah, I mean, I've heard some mumbles from fans and, you know, online talk and stuff that, you know, he may not be here next season. Uh, he may give up kind of like Cooper did. Um, but, you know, his his press conference before the game, I don't think I've ever seen um, anybody so deflated given a press conference before a match. And then yesterday after the result, um, I watched the press conference on the YouTube channel and, man, it made me depressed for the rest of the evening after watching it. The guy just looks empty. He looks so frustrated. Um, And you can completely understand. Obviously, I can't put myself in his shoes. I don't know what that feeling is like, but you can can completely understand why he's feeling like this. Um, you know, the owners are set, said to have ambitions of making the playoffs, getting us back to the Premier League. Um, and they're the ones who aren't signing off on these um, on these potential signings that we could have been bringing in. So, I mean, would I blame him? No. Do I want him to stay? Of course. Um, but I wouldn't blame him if he did, you know, just give it the rest of the season and then and then pack up his uh, pack up his things and, and make his way somewhere else because he, he probably deserves better. Cheers, Tom. What a game, Justin. Scenes at the end were just remarkable in this one, weren't they? 
It was a fantastic game. Um, and I think if we're looking at ads for Championship football, it should be this one where you barely get a breath throughout. Um, but it was it was a superb game of football. And as you say, scenes scenes at the end. 97-minute winner. 97-minute winner by Trustee. Yeah. Maybe a draw would have been a fair result, but you can't... Um, you can't discredit Birmingham. I mean, they were more than in the game throughout, and then to to nick it at the end, show the character they did, and you know, after ninety minutes to get back into it and then win it, it's absolutely superb. But it does end on a painful note, on a, in a very painful week for Swansea as well. It really does end a painful week for Swansea. We get games like this relatively often, don't we, in Championship? Mm level i think we have at least a couple a season and we don't ever seem to get games like this in the premier league i no. don't know if that's just if it's just the competitive nature of the championship or whether we play more games i don't know but Swansea were down to 10 men for the last few minutes because they didn't have any subs left which didn't help with the last minute injury time collapse they shot themselves in the foot so many times didn't they a with the four goals they conceded anyway but they missed so many chances they could have been four or five nil up at half time it was very sloppy from them after the game Russell Martin said I've not felt as low as this to be honest I've tried to be honest with everyone which has probably made some people unhappy I've had a lack of sleep and I'm concerned for a lot of people it's been a really long 72 hours with what has gone on Obviously, what he's referring to there is deadline day and the failed move for Carlin Grant. But it's not just the 72 hours. It's been a really tough 2023 for Swansea and Russell Martin so far, hasn't it? Mm. I think they were the only team without a transfer embargo not to have signed anyone. I don't know that for sure, but they didn't sign anyone and they needed players, didn't they? Especially with players like Albert Femi going out the door. Yeah, That means Swansea are, you know, really low on the ground when it comes to you know, suitable backups for Joel Pirro and other, you know, firepower. So it's left Russell Martin cutting a very frustrated figure. Just watching him speak in the media, he looks fed up. He looks exhausted. He needed additions to this squad and he hasn't got them. Now, he said he won't walk away from the job, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, nor would I blame him because it must be very frustrating when the majority of the clubs in the league have made multiple signings and got stronger in January while Swansea a weaker yeah absolutely um it's it's frustrating I, I know it's frustrating from martin's perspective um and i know that there are clubs around him i mean he went into the january transfer window i think he said in a press conference um before the january transfer window that they need players um, they need players to improve the starting 11 not just players who are going to bolster the squad um they need they need players and, and it didn't happen and it's you know he's not the only manager to suffer this steve cooper one of the main motivations for him leaving or wanting or his head being turned is because he wasn't being backed by the board. Um, there was that transfer window where he wanted to sign Corley Woodrow and the, the board wouldn't stump up the money. Um, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that another manager is going through this. It's frustrating that Swansea could potentially lose an incredibly talented manager. And I know that opposition fans will um, question how good Martin is, but Martin's been able to transform the style of play from Steve Cooper ball to this um, you know, exciting possession-based football with what is essentially an inexperienced group of free transfers, um, young players and loans. He's done it by beg, borrowing and stealing, essentially. And that's that's you know, quite remarkable. And if he gets any backing whatsoever, because Swansea do bring in a healthy a healthy profit from player sales, if they, if they do back him in any way possible, whether it's just a million pound here or a million pound there, that's more than what he's getting now and that will certainly improve the, the, the squad that they've got. So I understand his frustrations. Um, I understand his emotions. And I understand if he wants to leave the club because he's not getting he's not getting anything back from the board. Yeah, spot on. And Swansea, to be fair to them, they've had to level uh, had to level the books or balance the books when they got down, came down from the Premier League. They've not really got many big earners on the wage bill now and they've just sold Flynn Downs in the summer for multi-million pounds, haven't they? Mm -hmm. But none of that money seems to have been reinvested back into the squad. I've also, you know, let Obafemi go, who's, I'm guessing, a bit of a wage earner compared to Swansea standards. So why, is, why isn't more money being invested in the squad? It must be incredibly frustrating for Russell Martin and that's why fans have started to... You know, show their frustration too with mm -hmm. protests and what have you. Uh, Birmingham looked like they're on course for another loss. They're on a run of five straight losses heading into this one. So this one, this win is huge, isn't it? It is massive. And um, I read that their last uh, the last time they overturned a two-goal deficit was against Derby um, in, in April 2021, which, you know, almost two years today just shows how 
um, how low on confidence and character this team has been. But we've seen something completely different from Eustace's side this season. Um, they're a team that have, have wanted to, to play with purpose, have wanted to prove a point as well. Um, and I know their form since the World Cup break has been pretty poor, but Again, this 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 game showed that the, there's a lot of uh, a lot of cojones in this side. Um, again, just to come back into the game um, late on 90th minute equaliser and then to win it uh, you know, five six minutes later is absolutely superb. Lukas Djokovic as well. He's a player who's been on the the, the well he's by the by, isn't he? He's not been in, in, involved very much this season, but he's come in and, and his form recently has been good, um, and he's come in and has scored a really vital goal here as well. So. Yeah, a couple of changes in the second half by Eustace um, really, really helped push Birmingham um, in, in this game, and the character to, to keep going was was absolutely fantastic. So you've got to you got to you got to praise him. I know it's frustrating from a Swansea perspective, but yeah, perfect. Burnley are now 17 points clear of third place at the top of the Championship. It comes after a very impressive 3 0 win away at Norwich, and they are a machine, aren't they? Justin Yamal Ekdal scoring on his Burnley debut after joining for a few million from Duja Garden in Sweden. Probably absolutely butchered that pronunciation, <laughs> so I apologise to any Swedish listeners. He had a good game. Burnley were helped by Tim Krull turning colourblind temporarily and passing straight to a Burnley player from a Norwich goal kick. But it was another impressive showing from them, wasn't it? Worth mentioning as well, they had a few players out injured. It does help when they've got a gigantic squad, I suppose. But still, for them not to have even looked phased by the injuries that they had is very, very impressive. Only two teams in Championship history have picked up more points after 29 games than Burnley. 106 points, still a possibility. But I was saying before, Justin, they're one of the best teams in Championship history. You weren't so sure, but surely they've got to be, haven't they? This is a game that makes me um, makes me question my own thought process. I think the only reason why I don't is because I don't want to jump on the bandwagon uh, as I already have anyway, the promotion bandwagon, obviously. But I don't want to I don't want to throw all my eggs into that basket. So I thought Fulham last season would be one of those sides who um, who would would go on to to be one of those yeah up there with with Reading's point Sally, but they they dropped off. Um, but this Burnley side is just so good, so well coached. Um, I can't get over how. Um, how everyone's on the same page at any given point in a game. It's absolutely superb. I think it was the first half. There was three scenarios back-to-back in the first 15-20 minutes where Burnley just sliced through them. And it isn't done by accident. It's just excellent coaching. They're exploiting space. Um, they're, they're, they're turning possession over quickly. They're aggressive in their press. And Norwich were rattled. It could have been three or four nil um, if there was a little bit more quality from Nathan Teller. Um, in that first 15 minutes it was quite frightening to watch to be honest with you um, because it's very rare you see a team this well drilled yeah whenever we tweet about how good Burnley are on the <laughs> second tier account the first response from opposition fans is along the lines of they've bought the league their parachute payments FC they have not bought the league have they it's such a lazy assessment first of all they sold 70 million pounds worth of players in the summer anyway when you do that, you have the right to spend money on players, otherwise you'd be foolish mm. not to. But the most expensive player before the January window cost four million quid. Also, saying they brought the league is completely ignoring the fantastic work Vincent Company has done. It's truly astonishing what he's done with this team. Sometimes in football, you've just got to give credit where it's due and recognise that they've recruited well and have a bloody good manager in charge. So, can we please just end this ridiculous idea that Burnley have basically won promotion by throwing money at it? Because it's just not true at all, is it? And it's worth remembering as well, there are fears before the season that Burnley could do a Sunderland because of problems behind the scenes with you know debt and loans and mm-hmm. stuff I don't understand. What were we worrying about? Just have faith in Vinnie Cumps and he will get you over the line sooner or later. Uh, this was David Wagner's first league loss as Norwich boss. One big problem before he came in was their home form. Norwich have only won once at Carrow Road since September. And that's something he needs to sort out, doesn't he, if Norwich are going to get a playoff place? Uh, their home form is going to cost them a place in the top six if it isn't improved. I think it's as um, as bleak as that for for. Norwich and Wagner it's really blunt and honest but it's absolutely true your home form has got to be spot on if you're going to finish in the, in the hunt for promotion um, their away form is good um, one of the best away, away records in the, in the league but their home form is just ridiculous it's not just 
results that are going against them, but they can't create chances at home. It's quite frightening actually how poor they are at um, how poor they are creatively um, at uh, Carrow Road. They've they've only scored 19 at home, which is the ninth worst in the league. And when you've got the quality Norwich do. It's quite quite a frightening um, statistic to, to to look at, to be honest. And in this game against Burnley, they were blunt. They had a couple of opportunities. I did feel that um, they should have had a penalty. The one that um, it was an Ashley Barnes handball, but it wasn't handball. It's was Ashley Barnes went through. I can't remember who crossed it, but he went through the player who crossed it, which absolutely was a penalty for me. Um, but uh, yeah, as papering over cracks, they were so poor. They were so lacklustre. If you consider that they scored eight goals in two away games, in two consecutive away games, um, eight goals in, um, in total, they halved their, their home total in, in two, two away games. It's, it's just ridiculous um, how, how poor it is, really. And Pukki didn't really get in the game. Um, really, really poor. It's, it's not really too much to say about it other than the, the, main, the main issue is creating chances at home. It's frightening how bad they are. I do think, if I was a Norwich fan, I, I don't think I'd want to go up this season because think about it right if I was a Norwich fan the last two times they got promoted they were crap in the Premier League and they were the whipping boys on both occasions and Norwich are much less prepared now for the top flight than they were back then because this team needs a lot of work if it is to become a top six side let alone a Premier League one who's capable of staying up I think they need a season or two to have a soft reset and if they think David Wagner is the man to take them forward, then he needs to bring in his own players. I'm still not convinced about him. But if they think that he is, then so be it. Let's bat the guy. And there would be a few other changes I'd make as well. I'd get rid of Stuart Webber personally. The recruitment record under him is very sketchy, to say the least. And I think I'd have a good clear out of the players who have been great servants, great players, but have maybe passed their best. I'm talking about mm. the likes of Tim Krull, Grant Hanley, Kenny McLean. I think it's time for a new era at Norwich and I think you may have to, you know, get rid of the old and bring in the new if they are going to do that. It's two losses from two for Savi Lamushi at Cardiff. They were beaten 1-0 away at Hull. Cardiff missed a penalty in the first half which went on to bite them firmly on the rear end. Cyrus Christie got the goal for Hull and he was playing like bloody Danny Alves in this game. It was ridiculous. He came close to scoring just before and then created a golden chance in the first half with a lovely bit of skill. But he seems like he's really enjoying his time at Hull. He's become a very important player for them because the fullbacks are so key to how Rosinia, Liam Rosinia, wants to play. They get forward so much and Cyrus Christie was essentially a third striker at times uh, against Cardiff but he's a good solid championship fullback isn't he if you ask fans of his past clubs he can be a bit frustrating but if you get him playing on the front foot he's he, he can be a very good fullback and that's what's happening with him and as long as he's enjoying his football Justin then so am I um, here's a question for you are Hull an outsider for the playoffs because they picked up 20 points from a possible 36 since Liam Rosinia came in. They're only four points off. What do you think? I think, um, had they have signed, because I know they made an inquiry, a loan inquiry for Keane Lewis Potter in January. Had they signed him, I may have been swayed to consider them in the um, in the hunt for the top six. But you are right. They, you know, just just four points off West Brom in sixth. They, they have put themselves into, into, content, uh, into contention. And Rosinia's record is almost exemplary and we I don't think we've seen the best yet of Hull. Um I don't think we've seen him really get going. I mean this is just his second home win for example. Um but it's another clean sheet. Defensively they've really tightened up. We praised them last week because of um, because of their record. Um so maybe I, I might consider them a dark horse. It might be a little bit too late. There might be a bit too much to claw back in terms of points. A goal difference will be an issue as well, minus seven, which is considerably worse than the likes of Millwall, who have got six, and Sunderland who have got nine, for example. But I would, um, they'd be in the back of my mind, I think, if I'm trying to make a decision on who who might take up that sixth place. They could have a late run, um, but they just, yeah, scoring more goals, I think, um, is, is, is maybe the key to that. But defensively, it's been perfect. So maybe, maybe. They're certainly going in the right direction, aren't they? Mm. And that's the least you could have asked for from Liam Rosinha after, you know, how many months it's been now since he took over. Just it's time for us to talk about Cardiff again. Sabili Mushi, his exact words after the game. We have to panic. We're in the shit position and we need to work together to get out of this position. To be fair to him, at least he recognises the position they're in. I would want my new manager to say it mm. like it is and... 
that's what Lamushi is doing. So that's at least good to hear. I think he's in a bit of a no-lose situation for him just now. I don't know if you agree, because if he keeps Cardiff up, happy days, if they go down, I don't think he'll be blamed for it, because the chief reason will be that they're just so appallingly run as a football club Mm. that that will be the ultimate thing that's condemned them to relegation. But Lamushi's not wrong, is he? It is time to panic. The table does not paint a pretty picture with... Blackpool and Huddersfield playing on Tuesday. Cardiff could very well be in the relegation zone by midweek. They are in the deep at this point, aren't they? Well, scoring goals is is the main the main problem. And if, I'd hate to say, it, and it is a cliche, but if you're not scoring goals, you're not picking up points, are you? You're not winning games. Um, it does help. The, it, yeah, it does. It, it's funny when we say it to clubs <laughs> early on in season, early on in season, like, like Preston, for example, who had that ridiculous run of clean sheets, but not scoring goals themselves. But when a club is in a desperate situation like Cardiff, you can't help but go, "Yeah, well, it's, it's so true though. If they're not scoring goals, they're not they're not going to win games. They're not winning games. They're just going to be in and around the bottom three. And it's it's so plainly stupid to say it like that. But that's that's the reality of the situation. Um, they've the the run of goalless games they've had is is quite frightening and I don't think a you know it's it's going to be the third manager in a row now with Lamushi who's suffering this problem Morrison had it McCarthy had it actually in um, towards the end of his his tenure there at uh, at Cardiff and obviously Hudson has had the same problem um you've got to point the finger at the board because they needed strengthening um in the summer in, in certain areas but they seem to overload in the midfield which is quite strange a similar type of player came in um and that's sort of where the problems lie, just a lack of um, a lack of focus in key areas. Um, Callum Robertson was a good signing, but now his confidence has been affected by the team uh, team's performances. His you know, he's dropped off now, and if he's dropped off, what do Cardi have going forward? Nothing. Shea Ojo was a bright spark in this game, but shows it very very infrequently. We've always said with. Callum Robinson, brilliant player, but his finishing does leave a lot to be desired. He needs a good few sights of goal. And when you're a Cardiff team who are struggling to create chances anyway, that's always a problem when he's the best goal scorer you've got. Mm. Uh, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Mick McCarthy's first game in charge, or first league game in charge of Blackpool, and the Nathan Doan's derby at Kenilworth Road. Back to the second tier podcast. Mick McCarthy's first league game in charge of Blackpool didn't go to plan. They were thumped 3-0 by Middlesbrough. Having said that, I don't think it was really a 3-0 kind of game. Blackpool gave as good as they got. They had a goal disallowed for offside, which looked very tight. I'd have liked to have seen what VAR said about that one. They also hit the woodwork. Both of those were when the score was 1-0. So I think it was actually an all right showing for Mick McCarthy's boys, despite the result. Yeah, I mean, I, you look at the result and you'll go, uh, they got absolutely battered. Um, I mean, just even looking at the XG, they were, you know, fairly close to punching Borough um, uh, with a similar with a similar XG. So, yeah, it was it was a good performance, but I think it just highlights the the difference in quality and the difference in confidence as well. When you've got a team like Borough, um, you've got a team like Borough who are on the up, who are pushing high, um, those chances are going to go in. Whereas for Blackpool, who are just coming. Yeah, trying to trying to recover. Therefore, it doesn't it doesn't quite go for you, and it, and, it, and it didn't today. And obviously, there's the chance they miss from a yard out or a yard or so out. Another day, it goes in. Um, chance with the bar, it goes in. On another day, they might get that offside decision. It's it's fine margins when when the looks against you. And I'm sure every experienced manager will throw that cliche out there. Another podcast, another episode where it's time to marvel at the rejuvenation of one tuba Akpom Justin. Since Michael Carrick's appointment, Akpom's managed 14 goals and assists in 15 games. He's top goal scorer in the league with 16 goals for the season. Before this season, his previous best tally in English football was five goals. Which is just, <laughs> I mean, how how do you make sense of that? I was trying to come up with some form of movie comparison for his turnaround. And out of all the movies ever made, the best I could come up with is The Mask, which is very pathetic on my behalf. But it, I'm, I'm thinking... Without the mask, he's very average, a very unconvincing championship striker. But since Carrick's come in, he's had the mask on. He's just flying around all over the place and doing all sorts. Um, he is he has spearheaded Middlesbrough's flight up the table, anti. And it turns out when he's full of confidence, he's a very good player. Maybe a lack of confidence has been the 
problem this whole time because I never saw this coming. Because it is, Justin, it is honestly getting to the point now where he is in the conversation for player of the season. If someone said yeah. to me at the start of the season, Drew Brackpon will be player of the season, I would have slapped that person straight in the face. Because... <laughs> I never, ever expected this to happen. But he is in unstoppable form right now. He's the most informed player in the league, isn't he, without a doubt? Well, if you just look at his first goal, for example, Hackney's run was brilliant, but um, the audacity to... I mean, he didn't hit that shot with any power. It was just pure placement, pure yeah. bend. It was just so aesthetically pleasing just to watch it float into the corner. Because at one point I did question, um, I think it's Maxwell, Maxwell in the Blackpool goal, whether he could have got to it or not. But it was just beautifully uh, bent into the corner and that's what confident players do they have the confidence to pull those things off um, I mean even his second goal was a brilliant team move obviously him and Riley McGree linking up really well and he, he takes a shot on um, but I think the key thing is he, he's been given a consistent opportunity I don't think at any club he's been at other than obviously um, is it Pauk or P-A-O-K is it do you pronounce it Pauk it's the Greek side <laughs> the, the Greek side quote unquote Greek side Um <laughs> I think probably that's the only um, team where he's been given a consistent run of starts. He's been a bit part player wherever he's been. Um, but Carrick's seen something in him. He's getting games. He's confident. Carrick's given him that belief. And I think that's the key thing. Carrick's given him belief. Pom said himself that even if a big uh, bid came in for him in January, he wouldn't leave because Carrick's the best manager he's played for. Um, which is quite a statement considering Carrick's been there for three months. So... It just goes to show what manager's belief does to a player. Um, and he's turned Akpom into, um, I don't know, just, I've tried to make a pun of his name, but it's impossible. Um, he's, he's, he's an incredible player, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I would have loved to have found out where you were going with that. <laughs> uh, Middlesbrough sit third with this win. 10 points off second place, Sheffield United. So they're certainly keeping the pressure on. Blackpool remains second from bottom, three points from safety. They face Huddersfield on Tuesday, which is such a huge game. In the Nathan Jones derby, Luton made it six wins from seven league games by beating Stoke 1-0. Pelivod Kempanzu getting the goal. Not too many chances to speak of in this one, but this result sees Luton sat fourth and with a five-point cushion in the top six. The chances of another playoff place this season are looking very good for them right now, aren't they? They are, and they're hitting form at the right time. They're keeping clean sheets. They're taking chances as well. And I've alluded to it in recent weeks that the key difference between Rob Edwards and Nathan Jones, the two areas, is that under Rob Edwards, they seem more attacking, they seem more clinical. Um, and that's not a discredit to, to Nathan Jones. It just seems that they're there's a little bit more confidence in the final third. Um, so I think, yeah, massive, massive kudos there. And I think the interesting thing here is, as well is they've overcome a difficult Stoke team who have hit a, a good moment in this season for them, which is two wins on the trot. Yeah, <laughs> that's as good as it gets for Stoke. <laughs> um, but yes, that being said, they've got a good record at Kennel Throat, which I'll, I completely forgot about when we were assessing the the, uh, the, the preview um, in midweek as well. Um, so it, it's a difficult game. It's a difficult game, but they've overcome it. And um, the interesting thing is in, in the post-match press conference, Rob Edwards wanted to get across to, to uh, the media that it's not it's not little, little old Luton anymore. Luton should be seen as one of the big boys, and I completely agree with him. I think us being surprised by Luton's progress should not be. It's it's now a cliche. Luton are one of the big boys for me, and they're showing it. Big boy Luton, love that. Uh, as things stands, I, I think I think I'd be amazed if Middlesbrough and West Brom weren't in the top six. Mm -hmm. Con May. I was fearing at one point that the top six might just be made up of the teams with the biggest budgets. So the current two plus Borough, West Brom, Watford, and Norwich. Watford are looking a bit shaky mm. and Norwich needs to do a lot of convincing under David Wagner. So I think it will be Luton up against those two and a handful of teams outside the top six. The form recently has been spectacular though and a five-point cushion is actually quite chunky considering how tight it's been this season. Now I've been backing them all season to get in the top six and it's only looking more and more likely as the weeks go by it's five wins from seven since Rob Edwards came in and that kind of form will see them easily finish in the playoffs if it continues won't it because that is brilliant form that's promotion winning form in usual <laughs> seasons um, by the way 
I'm being completely non-biased here when I say this. It would be absolutely bloody hilarious if Rob Edwards gets looted in the top six and Watford miss out. I've got nothing against Watford, but I would thoroughly enjoy that if that's the case and maybe might make the Pozzos think <laughs> a bit more before sacking managers in the future. As Stoke were poor here, back to underwhelming for them. Four losses from five. There wasn't any Ben Pearson or Axel Twanzebe though, who will be big boosts for Stoke when they come in. In a South Yorkshire derby, Sheffield United and Rotherham ended goalless. Justin's streak of two correct predictions is over. It's like when Brock Lesnar pins the Undertaker at WrestleMania to end his streak. The end of an era, Justin. Yeah, uh, just you saying that just made me realise I'm a bit like Stoke City this season, aren't I, with these predictions? I, I had a good run, my nose bled a little bit with excitement and I've come crashing back down to earth. But like I said, the stars aligned with this one in terms of form. Um, but I actually didn't realise that Sheffield United haven't won at the uh, the New York City Stadium, quote-unquote. What do you mean? Um, Sheffield United haven't won away at Rotherham um, at the new stadium. since. Right, OK, happened. right, OK. Yeah. yeah. I was like, of course they didn't win. It finished goalless. So I had no idea what you meant by that. You needed to try a bit more context when you were talking there. Um, very even game, this, considering the two budgets. You wouldn't have guessed there was such a big gap in that respect, having watched this one. I was quite impressed with Rotherham's new signings. Tariq Fosu is lively. Jordan Hugill did what Jordan Hugill does and bashes defenders around. Colin Coventry looked tidy in midfield as well. They've played all right in the last three games, haven't they, Rotherham, after being horrendous for about a month after the World Cup. But they're looking steady again now. Just in the relegation battle... Are we in agreement that it's going to be three of the bottom five going down? Other teams are having a flirt every so often, but personally, I only seriously see this bottom five actually getting relegated, if you see what I mean. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you ended, uh, you, uh, ended it with that because three of the bottom five will go down. Three three go down every season. Yes, yeah, cheers for that. I mean, <laughs> three of the current bottom five. What do you think? Yes, um, I think Rotherham... Um, can show, I mean, their home form is, is good. It's just their record against teams in and around them is really, really poor. Um, so that could drag them into a perilous state. And I think, I, honestly, I think it all depends. I, I can't see Cardiff improving, but it all depends on whether Blackpool can pick up a run of form. I think Wigan, I would be confident in saying Wigan will probably go down. Um, I'd be confident in saying Cardiff will be that second team as well. Um I'm, I'm neither here nor there with Huddersfield um, and Blackpool in terms of how even they are. Um, but I'd put Blackpool ahead of them. And I think Rotherham will, will be safe. Um, and I think Blackpool will, will claw their way out. But yeah, for me, Huddersfield, Wigan and Cardiff are the three most likely. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I look at the other teams above them and, you know, Birmingham have been dreadful recently. Stoke have been very underwhelming all season. But... Are they worse than, no. you know, some of the teams down there? I don't think so. Uh, so that's why I'd be very surprised if it is anyone other than, you know, the, the bottom five who go down. Um, let's go to Friday night. Actually, Sheffield United unbeaten in nine, I, I should point out. Still second, 10 points clear of third. Haven't been playing particularly well recently, have they? Which just makes me wonder whether results could possibly turn, but I'm not too worried at this point because, as I say, they are unbeaten in nine, which is still a very good run of form. On Friday night, a goal from Grady Dean Garner gave West Brom a 1-0 win at home to Coventry. The goal came from a brilliant throw-in from Darnell Furlong. He starts his run-up in the crowd, which I enjoyed, and then launches it in like a cruise missile. I don't know why I'm enjoying a throw-in so much, but I did. Uh, Mark Albrighton had a very good debut. Really showed how good he is at crossing with either foot. Dara O'Shea was a man-mountain at the back. And mm. I tell you what, he's actually had a really good season, has O'Shea. He's played every minute for West Brom this season. I think he's one of only four players to have played every four outfield players, I should say, uh, who's played every minute this season, which is an achievement in itself. But no team has conceded fewer goals than West Brom since Carlos Corbran came in. And Dara O'Shea can take a lot of credit for that. He's playing alongside Eric Peters, who has done well, but isn't a centre-half by trade. So O'Shea's form has really helped with that. But Brilliant in the air, reads the game really well. And I tell you what, this caught me by surprise, Justin. He's only 23. And it feels like he's much older because he's been around for so long. But he's been one of the stars of West Brom's turnaround and will continue to be very important for them in the near future. Anything else on this game for you, Justin? 
I was going to say, I was impressed with Mark Albright in Massive, and I think he can be a, a big difference in in, um, in West Brom's push for the, a top six place. Um, I think if you've got a player who can swing balls in from any distance or angle, um, it's it adds a different dimension to your attack. So, yeah, really impressive signing. I said that in midweek, I praised the signing. I think he can be a real difference maker. And Dean Garner scoring as well will be a, a massive plus. Um, the throw-in, yeah, straight out of the Valerian Ishmael textbook. Love it. Yeah, it was great. First half goals from Mark Sykes and Sam Bell gave Bristol City a 2-1 win away at Preston. I predicted this as my upset of the weekend, which I had a few people say to me wasn't an upset. We based it off the bookies' odds and Bristol City were comfortably the outsiders based on that, but there you go. A good win for the Robins. The table's looking a lot nicer now for them, isn't it? Unbeaten in eight games in all competitions. Looking pretty tidy. In amongst a, uh, I say a mini injury crisis. Uh, well, it's certainly in the forward areas. Sam Bell's having to come in. Obviously, Tommy Conway's been out, but Sam Bell's just another example of why the the academy at Bristol City is probably amongst the best in the league. Um, just the amount of players who have impressed. If you look at the, that goal, for example, Alex Scott's feet were incredible. Um, then he threads the ball into Wells, who puts in a lovely cross for, for Sam Bell, who couldn't miss. Um, but it does certainly make up for his goal that he scored last week, which is an absolute perler. Um, he's a quality player, quality goal scorer. And I think Bristol City having a good run of form um, at this point probably means they're going to be safe. They're not going to enter the relegation chat, maybe until April when they lose six games on the trot again. But this turnaround in form, um, it's hard to judge too much, with, uh, well, too, uh, too abruptly with Bristol City just because of how streaky they can be. Um, but you've got to praise him when, when praises do. It's a good turnaround. And yeah, as I say, Sam Bell, um, one to watch over the next few weeks for me. We've given Nigel Pearson a fair bit of stick on this podcast this season, but if there's one bit of credit that we can give him, it's the fact that he has been giving youngsters so yeah. many chances. That may be down to the necessity out of, rather than choice at times, but without a doubt, you know, the likes of Alex Scott, Tommy Conway, Sam Bell have really benefited uh, from getting game time for Bristol City this season. Preston's home form continues to be a big, big problem. Fifth straight loss at Deepdale. They are just awful at home, aren't they? After the game, Ryan Lowe said, I get the frustration, but I don't get the vile abuse we're getting because I'm not here to take that. It's disheartening. I'm a human being and trying my best for this football club. And there's a few things said there that's disgusting. Now, it goes without saying, Justin, that we don't condone any abuse he's getting. But I don't understand why fans are directing their anger towards him anyway. Ryan Lowe is having to work with very little at Preston. It's somewhat of an achievement in itself that they're only a few points off the top six right now because they have no right to be there. This squad isn't suited to how he wants to play, isn't very good in terms of quality either. So he's been forced to work with what he's got. And... He's a very good manager. I would love him as a manager at my club and it'd be a great appointment for pretty much every championship side bar two or three. Also, it's it's not like Preston are struggling. It's not like they're in Cardiff shoes right now, is it? And, you know, mm-hmm. on the tip of being in League One. Preston are doing all right this season. I think Ryan Lowe deserves quite a bit of credit for where they are. A brilliant 80th minute volley from Jeff Hendrick helped Reading draw 2-2 with Watford. Come on then, Justin, the Shane Long penalty. We've had a bit of a debate about this ourselves off air. I think that is a stonewall penalty, but I've seen plenty of Watford fans say it's not a penalty in a million years. I agree entirely with the Watford fans. It isn't a penalty. It's really clever from Shane Long. Um, Kudos to you. Mr. Long, um, you you artful little bastard, you. But it was not a penalty. Um, he initiates contact himself. He sticks his, his back end into Cathcart and he trips Cathcart into tripping him up. Um, it's, it's not a penalty. I, I understand why the referee's given it because of his angle, but the linesman should be overrunning him there. It, for me, it's just a stonewall penalty. I'm not going to deny Shane Long is looking for the contact. That's blatantly obvious that he is, but... The fact that Cathcart has tripped him up means it's but a penalty. Why? But why has he tripped him up? Because, because Long's looking for contact, right? Exactly. So Long's, so Long's initiated contact. And the exactly. reason why this contact Long's is because Long's down. done it. Shane Long has gone down because Cathcart's tripped him up. Yes, but Long's tripped Cathcart into tripping him up. The only reason why there's contact is because Long's put himself in there first and upended Cathcart. That doesn't it's mean it's not a penalty. If anything, though. it's a foul on Cathcart. 
That is a ridiculous thing to say. That is absolutely I will, bananas. I'll also, I'll also add this in, and this is a really important point for every single listener out there. Football's a contact sport. There's going to be contact. Not every single piece of contact is a, um, a foul. This certainly wasn't. Even though he's tripped him up. He hasn't tripped him up. He has tripped him up. He's clattered into the back of him. Right, we're going to play football in the next few weeks and we're going to reenact that and you're going to be the defender and I'm going to be Shane Long and you're not going to you are you are going to be adamant that he's not a foul. No, that is I cannot believe there's even a debate around this and we'll just have to leave it here because I'm getting all fired up just having a chat about it. Um, the final game of the weekend is Blackburn v Wigan on Monday night. We'll talk about that game in Thursday's episode. Now it's time for this. Not a penalty. It's the most just insane thing I've ever heard. <laughs> now it's time for the news. The Times say Nigerian tech entrepreneur Dozi Mabusi is behind the takeover of Sheffield United. His company is worth £6 billion and he's had long-held aspirations to work with a UK football club. His takeover is subject to the EFL owner's test. It comes with a club in need of money because of a cash injection um, with a transfer embargo currently in place. It sounds like this is actually happening, Justin, and that is great news for the Blades, isn't it? It is. It, is. it needs to happen because of um, the transfer embargo. Obviously, the result of the transfer embargo, if things aren't paid or... Uh, transfer restrictions ongoing um, which will be an absolute nightmare for Sheffield United whatever league they're in um, next season um, so this yeah the wheels in motion being uh, well the wheels being in motion now for this takeover are yeah absolutely necessary and hopefully as well they've got a lot of players out of contract at the end of the season that they need to resolve their futures of um, and once that takeover is done they can start to begin those conversations which again is a really important point that I think goes by the wayside when you start to talk about matters next season and takeovers and whatnot. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's going to take a few weeks still for this to mm. actually be sewn up, but it sounds like it's on its way. And considering the owner has seemingly lost interest in the club, then getting someone in um, is always very well welcomed. And it also seems like he is a, a bit of a, a, a is a bit of a cool guy as well. I don't know if you've seen his photo shoot that he did with yeah. GQ I think it was or the, in the I think it was the South African version of GQ I may have got that completely wrong but he looks like an absolute boss snappy dresser and, yeah, yeah I'm always here for that um, so Sheffield United will certainly have one of the coolest owners in uh, the football league uh, the mirror says Birmingham's takeover is stalling over a failure to reach an agreement on how the club is sold a consortium led by Jeremy Dale and Keith Pelly is trying to put together a framework that will satisfy by the club's Chinese owners. But despite several meetings between lawyers, no firm way forward has been decided over the complicated arrangement that will see the Blues change hands. And this just goes back to the current owners, Justin. I think it's got something to do with the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and how mm. the current owners still want the club to be on that, even when they won't own the club anymore. I think that's that's my <laughs> understanding of it anyway. But just get out the club. The fans don't want you there. <laughs> you don't seem to have much of an interest in the club. So why are they still trying to make demands? Just do what's best for everyone. It's it's such a bizarre situation because takeovers are complex anyway. Um, but I feel like I can understand the, the very basics of what a normal takeover is, like the Sheffield United one, for example. But this Birmingham City one is just an absolute maze of um, jargon and... Uh, and complication um, that any club following suit in this manner at all should just avoid it because it's the headaches it cause, causes later down the line are just are just uh, well it's you know it's costed Birmingham City so much in terms of progress and and time and and money as well and um, and, and potential because under 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 Eustace they've got really good potential they've got a good academy that produces good players. Um, but it's fallen by the wayside because of an absent ownership who are finding it difficult to sell a club in their own way. It's just bizarre, really bizarre and yeah, a headache, a massive headache. It gives me a headache. Well, one of the reasons why they can't sell the club is because of themselves from the sounds of it. And that's the most puzzling thing of all. It's just, it's nothing's going to get resolved until these owners, you know, accept that they may have to take a loss on this one. Yeah. Um, and until then, 
Birmingham just could continue to be in limbo. In injury news, Sunderland have confirmed Ross Stewart's going to miss the rest of the season with an Achilles injury and is going to need surgery. Sky Sports say the injury is not as bad as first feared, though, and he should be back for the first day of pre-season, which... You know, kind of softens a really, really bad blow, I suppose. Rotherham defender Sean Morrison's season is over. He only joined from Cardiff last month and made two appearances for the Millers before suffering a thigh injury. In transfer news, we've now got clarity on Lewis O'Brien's loan deal to Blackburn on deadline day, Justin. In Thursday's pod, we were saying we don't know what's happened with it because it wasn't announced, despite him passing a medical reportedly. Well, the club say the deal was submitted late because of events out of their control. The EFL has now rejected the application for the transfer to go through through justin i've read birmingham's statement on this move numerous times and i can't work out what the events are which are out of their control it seems like blackburn was saying transfers are difficult to complete in a few hours therefore you should let us sign him anyway but he's been left out of forest's 25 man squad in the premier league meaning you've got this very talented young player who can't play football now seemingly until next august and that's quite sad it, it is sad. Um, we're big fans of O'Brien. We, uh, I, I would, I would have him in my Premier League squad. He's a robust, energetic player who I don't feel has had a much of a chance in that Forest team. Quite a few players haven't had a chance in that Forest team. I couldn't name you quite a lot of those Forest players because of that high turnover in squad. Anyway, the transfer policy, um, I could criticise all day. Um, and unfortunately, it's you've now got a player who. Um, I, He's been shafted basically by two clubs who couldn't get their fingers out. That's what it feels like. Blackburn have fronted it up. I know Greg Broughton's, um, uh, they've been transparent about the situation, which is good. Um, and in their sense, they can just move on. But it's still, you're still left with a footballer, a person, a human being who can't play football because of um, bureaucracy. Yeah, not going to disagree with you on that one. It's very sad. I feel like he should be playing regularly in the Premier League because we saw last season with Huddersfield how good he was. I'm surprised mm. he hasn't played more at Huddersfield. Um, and I suppose this is the kind of thing that happens when he's a club like Forest who signed, what is it, 30-odd players or something like it's that? just terrifying. In two transfer windows. And yeah, they've really... Well, he's just going to be a burden on the wages now as well, isn't he? So they're losing money in their own right from that. Huddersfield have signed goalkeeper Jordan Smith on loan from Forest for the season. Norwich forward Adam Eder has agreed a new deal until 2028. The 21-year-old was struggling with injury this season, but is highly thought of at Carrow Road. It looks like he'll be the long-term successor to Timmy Puki as well. It looks like he'll be leaving the club this summer. He is 22 next week. Only scored five league goals in his career. I think it is t- about time he starts showing people what he's about because we've heard a lot about him, haven't we? And a five-year mm-hmm. contract is a huge commitment by Norwich. The proof is in the pudding, though. And yes, he's had injuries, but I haven't really seen enough so far to say he's justified this new deal. But I'll wait and see. The Athletics say Courtney House has been left out of Watford's 25-man squad for the remainder of the season. The PFA are involved in mediation on behalf of the player with the... Uh, club and parent club Aston Villa over the next steps House is currently injured another player who's mm-hmm. been shafted by the rules uh, and away from transfers Footy Insider says the Premier League wants the EFL to back massive changes to English football's loan system clubs want to send virtually unlimited numbers of players on loan domestically the proposed changes would only apply to players under 21 Justin I saw you this re- react to this on Twitter and you weren't too chuffed were you? <laughs> no it's just it's just that ego that yeah, there's one or two occasions every season where they just try and flirt with an idea that is just so up their own asses, um, and it just it angers me. Uh, I, I, I basically tweeted that not only did Premier League clubs get um, young players from from lower league clubs for uh, pennies, um, but they also want to use you, use your football club as a vehicle to develop them so they can reap the awards later on, later down the line, while charging excessive fees doing so. The only reason why more clubs aren't um, accessing these young players to get them on loan is because um, of the amount of um, clauses in these contracts. Uh, Brentford, a club with Bristol Rovers, is an example of it. Ellery Balcombe, the goalkeeper, has to play the next three games or two games. Otherwise, Bristol Rovers owe them a large sum of money. Um, if he doesn't play and it's just that sort of barrier that makes you go actually no we'll find a different target thank you Premier League clubs are the hurdle to their own players not championship clubs not um, not issues with uh, loan systems or anything it's Premier League clubs wanting too much all the time that's the problem 
I think you're being very quick to dismiss this no. idea. I don't think it's the worst plan in the world. I'd like to see some of the finer details because I don't want to just rush ahead and say it's a good idea, but it's it's not ridiculous. It is worth saying the one club in particular who are reportedly pushing this, Man City, were very keen to introduce B teams into the Football League like they have in Spain, Holland, etc. This seems to me like somewhat of a compromise. The big clubs have talented youngsters coming out of their ears and if they want them to get more first team experience then I don't see that as a bad thing particularly the clubs getting the loan players don't have to accept these players they can still build teams if they want to they can accept the terms of whatever loan that's that's needed so I think it will also improve the standard of the AFL because it will make it more competitive because you've got so many very talented players vying for regular football so And I think it will help the English national team because you've got young players playing at a very good standard of football. So I I don't really see much of an issue with it, Justin. I accept there there are problems with loans in in current football and loan fees and what have you, but it doesn't really bother me that that much, this idea. uh, You're in the pockets of the big boys, aren't you? You're peddling yeah, the... Being uh... paid off by Man <laughs> You got me. <laughs> Let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. Firstly, ignoring Wigan, which of these teams is most likely to go down? Blackpool, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Rotherham. It's literally a coin toss between Cardiff and Huddersfield because neither of those can score goals. Um, yeah. I led towards Huddersfield because their defensive record is slightly worse than Cardiff. I probably would say Cardiff, unfortunately. 35% of people said Cardiff, 27% said Huddersfield, 24% said Blackpool, 14% said Rotherham. Second, do Bristol City have the best academy in the championship, yes or no? Uh, I'd, I'd put it up there as one of the best, maybe top, in a, certainly in the top five. Um, and Norwich is, is pretty effective. Trying to think of other clubs now. I'm trying to buy time while I look at the league table. Yeah, um, it's difficult to answer that question, isn't it, without going through every single club. But in terms of academy players in the current first team, Bristol City must be top of the pile in that regard. I think. Um, anyway, the answer to the poll was 80% of people said no, 20% said yes, and finally, what do you call them? Bap, batch, cob, or roll? I call it a cob. I had two just before we start recording. Yeah. I always call it a cop and have done ever since I was a young lad. Um, 56% of people said roll, 28% said bap, 12% said cob, and 4% said batch. Well, I feel like what? that's a lot of people who are wrong, Justin, because it's a cop every single day of the week, isn't it? Right now, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Brady. Simon, that's the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and Brady would say Villa, that's one down, and Justin would say Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Since it is just the two of you, I'll do the traditional thing of giving you an extra life for between you um, to a... Uh, Make sure that you've still got three goes at getting this right. Uh, well, the FA Cup is finally underway. Not come very well so far for our guests who are all out already, but oh well. Uh, this week's question is FA Cup themed. So here it goes. There are eight clubs in the EFL who have won the FA Cup more than once. Can you name them? Justin, what's your FA Cup knowledge like? Terrible. This isn't an FA Cup podcast. It's a championship podcast. Well, in that case, then can you give me a can you give me a club who's won it more than once and is in the FL right now? <laughs> uh, I feel like Charlton may have won it more than once. Charlton have not won it more than once. <laughs> Great, so that's, that's the that's the extra life gone already. Um, I'll, I'll give you somewhat of a clue. It's not really a clue, but just think: big teams are in the FL. You won't go very wrong if you just do that. Um, so with that being said, you've lost your actual life already. Brady? Oh, big clubs. I'm just going to guess. Who's a big club? Um, I'll get into trouble if I get this wrong as well. Um, oh, uh, Sheffield United. 
Sheffield United have won it four times. It's been nearly 100 years since they last won it, but they are on the list and that's all that matters. So that's one down, Justin. Sheffield Wednesday are a big club. Uh, I'd, I'd have considered Charlton a big club at one point as well. So it all depends on what your definition of big club is. I don't think that's a great clue, but I'll go Sheffield Wednesday for this one. Sheffield Wednesday is correct. They've won it three times, got to the final in 1993 as well, but haven't won it since 1935. So that's two down, six to go. Brady? Sorry, having a complete blank, which is not good for podcasting. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just because maybe because they're at the top. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Burnley. Burnley haven't won it more than once, so Brady is out. That means it's all down onto the big old shoulders of Justin Peach. You've got six to go, JP. Uh, Ipswich Town, surely they were very successful in the seventies. Ipswich aren't on there, so what yeah, the it's already <laughs> no. Yeah, football's ridiculous. Football is ridiculous. So you got two out of eight, which is quite possibly the worst <laughs> score we've ever had on Simon Grayson's eight plates. I don't think we've ever done that badly before. The clubs you were looking for, Blackburn, have won it six times. They've won it more times than any other EFL team. Uh, well, actually won it more times than Man City, I think. Or won it, won it as many times, is what I should say. Uh, West Brom, five times. Uh, Bolton four times, uh, Portsmouth two times, Preston twice, Preston won it. They were winning a lot of things in the early 19th century or early 20th century, 19th century. And then Sunderland, I've won it twice as well. I feel like Sunderland is one you probably should have said. But there you go. Simon Grayson's hateful aid. Simon Grayson is chortling himself to sleep tonight after that sharing. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about Blackburn v Wigan on Monday night and that huge, huge game between Blackpool and Huddersfield, as well as looking ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship next weekend. But a quick thank you to our guest on the show this week, Brady Frost from the Huddersfield Podcast, and he takes that chance. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having us, lads. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.